Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You know, one of the things I've figured out is that all of us have traditions and all of us hate tradition. I'm sorry, all of us hate your traditions. Not mine, mine are great. What is tradition anyway? It's a custom, a ritual? What? Patterns? It has a meaning. I'll, I'll put it this way. Do you guys ever, um, like maybe you, you've been driving to the same work for a couple of years, and you ever had that time where you show up at work and realize you don't remember any of the drive? Yeah. And you're like, I hope I didn't kill anybody. Could have happened, right? The reason is, the way we're, but anybody, you've gone on a trip a whole bunch of times, but the first time you went there, it seemed to take forever. But then later, it does, you just kind of zone out and it just goes. Tradition is where I have a pattern and a way to get from point A to point B where I don't actually have to show up and be vulnerable. Because we don't like to be vulnerable, do we? So we like to build little patterns of ways of doing things. So in high school, my brother uh, shaved his head. You know, the great thing about shaving, well, I'm not, I'm not going to give people ideas, but I'll just say this. If you shave your head, your mom can't make you glue it back on. Um, and so anyway, uh, you know, he decided I'm going to be a nonconformist. And I had a moment of deep wisdom and insight that only a snarky younger brother can. I said, you're a nonconformist just like all the others. <laughs> Anybody been a part of that or, or seen people that are like, I'm totally original because nobody's ever been this dumb. Nobody's ever done it this way. There's probably a reason why. Anybody here, you're like, I'll do it like nobody ever did it before, right? The, f- the funny thing is, is that even being a nonconformist can be a tradition. I can't do anything like anybody else, right? Funny thing is, when we talk about tear down, whose traditions were we praying about, singing about? Mine. Oh, no, 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 you've got it wrong. Who here, you were singing this song and you were fantasizing about somebody else's traditions being torn down? This church will be the right way when my tradition, I'm sorry, uh, the Holy Spirit way, not, oh, dang it. Right? Anybody? Nobody? Wow, this is getting awkward. No, there's a funny thing is, I have no authority to tear down anybody's traditions but my own. And mine make sense and aren't traditions, they're just sensible. They're what Jesus wants anyway. But I would submit, just like a tradition of a car ride, when we have a way I encounter God, a way I do things, the way I think it should be done, we, it actually causes us not to be vulnerable to what God is doing in a given moment. And we will miss what God is doing. Hold that thought. So guys, we've been going through just this short passage that that God really put on Masha's heart for us for the year, Isaiah 43. If you've memorized it already, you get bonus points in the afterlife. All right, Isaiah 43, and verse 18, we said, forget the former things, right? What are, every tradition is out of where? Out of the past. I did it a certain way, it worked, let's never try it a different way again, right? 
Traditions are in place because they work. They get us from point A to point B. Anybody had a song, you played it, and you just encountered Holy Spirit? What did you do then? Play it again. Play it again. Play it again. Play it again. What happened on the hundredth time? It doesn't, it doesn't hit your heart anymore. Why? There's no vulnerability. Forget the former things. And you remember, what, did he, what was he talking about? We talked about this last week. If you look at the verses before, what's he talking about? The former things. You just told me to remember the former things. Why are you telling me to forget them? Because he said, the former things show you I can do anything. Now forget those because you'll now think I'll only do what I did. You'll build a tradition out of the place where I did something I'd never done. Forget the former things. But I like the former things. They were nice. They were fun. They were good. I encountered Jesus. It's scary out there. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. You know that word dwell? You know what it is? It's tabernacle. Build your little tent. I like it here. Let's just stay here. You guys remember when the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter and James and John go up with Jesus and suddenly the glory is so intense that Jesus is transfigured in front of their eyes and, and he's standing there with Ezekiel and Moses. We are done. That is like the, that's the hall of fame. Like we don't need to go anywhere. That's like the entire Old Testament in a bottle and Jesus right there in the midst and oh my goodness. And what does Peter say? Let's build three tabernacles. Let's build three tents here. Let's never leave this place. Let's build a tradition right here. What could get better than Jesus looking exactly like God with Elijah and Moses for, for bonus? What could be better? Who hasn't had an experience, an encounter with God, and you're like, let's never leave this place. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing what? A new thing. Now, again, this is not new because he just told us past. It's not like a new thing, but basically the old thing. It's a new thing. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? What's the issue there? What is he assuming about us? That we don't see it. It's there, but we don't see it. How am I going to see something I can't see? By laying down the past, laying down my traditions, laying down, not your traditions. That's my tradition that I reject your traditions. <laughs> Awkward, sorry. See, I'm doing it. Do you not perceive it? What does he say? What's the new thing? I am doing what? Making what? A way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So if you were to look at a map of Israel, you would discover this interesting thing. There aren't roads in the wilderness and there aren't streams in the wasteland. <laughs> Why don't they put roads and towns and villages in the middle of the desert? Can we pull up that picture of the, the wasteland? Thank you. I don't know why anybody didn't build there. It's like beachfront property. With no. What the... In, in Israel, they go there, there's, not, there's no, they now have just built roads because they, have, they can put air conditioning on and drive through the desert. But back then, they didn't have any roads, they didn't, and, and part of it is because there's no water. But do you want to know the only kind of streams there are in the wasteland? 
violent flash flood streams that you can't control. If you ever seen, look it up, flash flood in Israel. <laughs> like there's this point, they're standing in a dry riverbed, totally dry, no water for years. And you see a wall of water, like six or seven feet tall, just coming, just growling towards you. And within the space of 30 or 40 seconds, there is a mighty torrent over your head, destroying everything in its path. So you don't want streams in the desert. You can't control them. He says, now I am making a way in the wilderness and a stream in the wasteland. But remember, there's nobody out there. That's not where we go. That's not normal. Do you know what every revival, okay, most revivals in history have failed to do one minor point, reach the lost. Why? Because where are the lost? Out there. Out there. <laughs> where are we getting revived? It's all about me. Sorry. Where does he want to make streams? He said, who's, he said, the wild animals will honor me. What's, what kind of animals? Not tame. Not only that, but these animals, by and large, in Jewish understanding, were what kind of animals? Unclean. Do you guys remember there's this moment? Because Jesus said when he left, he only gave them one command. He goes, he goes wait in Jerusalem. When I, glory power comes upon you, but then you're going to do what? You're going to go out to Jerusalem, Judea, then to where? Samaria, the people we don't like, and then to where? The ends of the earth. Fast forward five or six years, where are they? Jerusalem. We're still working on Jerusalem. Still working on Jerusalem. Finally, Philip was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to Samaria if you aren't. There's some wild animals out there. But you guys remember this moment that Peter was like, he was in a deep encounter with God. Ah, and God shows him this image of a sheet coming down from heaven. Oh, this is going to be good. It's from heaven. It's going to be beautiful. What was the sheet full of? Dirty, Dirty stinking animals. They were the very animals. Vultures, things like, ah, nasty. Didn't have their shots. Probably had rabies. And God goes, take up, kill, and eat. He's like, I'm sorry, what? Um, uh, and, God, why, and God gives him the vision two more times. Why do you think God gave Peter the vision three times? Huh? Huh? Stubbornness? I think he had no clue what it meant. I think it was offensive. Anybody here rebuked God before? Oh, I have. Oh, God. Mm -mm. I think it was incredibly offensive. Come on. It, it went against everything that in the Old Testament they were commanded to do. Right? Just think about it just for a minute. They were not allowed to, you know, touch those animals. They would become unclean. Yeah. Correct? Yep. And so, if they were unclean, they had to separate themselves from all the clean people. So... What Peter was, had to go through is transition in, their mind, in his mind. That was very painful, I would submit. He had to go from a place of, I'm a 
good Jew because I don't associate with anyone from the outside. I do not touch the unclean. To God, you're actually calling me to go and touch what I've been believed in my mind and in my heart the entire, my entire life, that it wasn't kosher, that it wasn't good, right? I've, I've had that vision and that um, word about the wild animals. I feel like <laughs> if anyone hung out with me for a minute, I always talk about the wild animals like for, I don't know, 10 years now probably. <laughs> I had this dream. Um, that I was in the, at the doors, at the doors, like a vestibule of a church, and all these tigers and bears, and just all of these wild animals were like outside the door and trying to get in. And I was so concerned about making sure that they got into the church. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like that's like part of my heart's cry. It's like, Jesus, like help us to see like to transition in our mind, like Peter had to, like to transition from the, from the old wineskin into a new wineskin and the way I'm thinking, in the way I am processing, that I would make a way for the wild animals come on, come on. to come in. For those who don't look like me, don't talk like me, don't have the same values, who will be offensive, to come into this space of the church. Come on. Come on. Come on. And that's, that's what Peter had to do. It says, you know, if you go to Acts chapter 10, it said, it says lots of good things. <laughs> it said three times, and it happened, verse 16, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the vision, did he understand the vision? No. Has he received it and accepted it? No. He's confused. The first step is, do you not perceive it? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I do. That's a really uncomfortable place. I don't have the answer. I don't understand. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what to do with these uh, wild animals. It said, while he was wondering, the men sent by Cornelius, a pagan, came, found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon was known as Peter was staying there. In this moment, God has broken him loose from his bearings, his moorings, the place where he and his family have been for 1,500 years. How's that for a tradition? Man, I'm, I'm a go-getter. I'm a, I'm a trendsetter. But 1,500 years, that's some serious tradition. And God goes, and who told them not to eat those animals? God! Who's going to argue with God? It's not a tradition. It's just what God said. I'll let Jesus take that word home to you. You can't handle it from me. And what happens is he's broken loose to this place of, I don't understand. Then he's able to receive an encounter that fundamentally changed the world. And you and I are here today because Peter got out of the boat. Because Peter 
chose to say, I don't understand. And so I'm not supposed to go. They were, it was illegal for them to go into the house of an unbeliever. He's like, I don't know what's happening. He goes in and all he knows to do is preach the gospel. I don't think he thinks anything's going to happen because pagans don't get saved. And he preached the gospel. Everybody gets saved. Now he's really in trouble. And the Holy Spirit and the Holy comes, Spirit comes on them. And, and he goes, and then he just baptized me. He goes, he gets back and he goes, well, what was I supposed to do? They had what we had. They're not supposed to have what we had. I know. And do you know, it took another 10 years for them to figure out what had happened. Do you guys remember Paul went out and he preached the gospel to the Greeks and they were like, and they were still like, I think if they get saved, we should probably cut them there. They should be circumcised. Like, woo! Man, we don't ask that of our membership. <laughs> right? There is, the thing is, is they still were figuring out. It is a messy process. There's a vulnerability as we walk forward going, I don't know, I don't know. But I'm not going to. Do you guys remember when Samuel was looking for a king and he, he chose the one brother and God said, it's not him. What did God say to Samuel? God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. What does tradition do? Looks at the outside, right? Right? It looks at the outside. I'm sorry. I have high levels of discernment. I'm going to say something, and it's going to get me in trouble. But I'm going to say this. Do you know where human discernment began? When Eve ate of the fruit, true, free tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know there was another tree in the garden? It was godly discernment. You know what its name was? The tree of life. See, I have the ability to discern the presence of life. But when I get into the determining who's in, who's out, all that, mm, just saying. So I believe like when you were talking about the wave, um, the stream in the desert, that it's a violent um, wave. Um, and it goes where we're not expecting to go. I feel like that's what's coming in the spirit. It's this unstoppable wave um, that's just going to feel... Um, <laughs> the grooves in the desert, right? It's like the low place is filled yep. and you better get out of the way. <laughs> or get in. Or get in. And it's going to carry you. Oh. But I feel like just God is just working overtime right now to prepare our mindsets just like with Peter on that roof. What... I made clean, do not call unclean. What I'm doing in this season, do not stumble, do not get offended. And it's, I'm speaking to myself first and foremost, <laughs> because he is not working the way I want him, not the way I've imagined. And you know, we all want to be on the winning team. This doesn't look like a winning team. It's ugly. It's messy. Or with the wild animals. Or with the wild animals. It's not in the city. It's in the wilderness. It's not where I want it, how I want it. Do you know how hard Peter had a hard time when he came back and explained that he had just led a bunch of pagans to Jesus? 
You would think that they'd be happy. They were mad as wet hens. Until he explained that the Holy Spirit came on them. And even then, I think they, they really struggled for years. It's hard to wrap minds around. I feel like it's just such a um, prophetic timing. Who I know a lot of has got, have gone and seen Jesus' revolution. Um, who's, yeah. I feel like it's just such a, such a key timing right now, historically, of the wave that did come out of hippie movement, this whole hundreds of thousands, right? Four million. Four million. Oh, my word. People came to Jesus, right? Huge wave, uncontrollable, uncontrollable. Stinky. Of just absolutely wild people. Messy, drug addicted, no boundaries, no limitations, no nothing. And do you know what happened? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, that'll make you listen. <laughs> I didn't know we had sound effects. Those, those who needed to wake up, woke oh, yeah. up. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're listening. All right, now we're listening. <laughs> this must be important, what I'm about to say. Now, what was I going to say? Um, no, the thing about it is, is that there were two reactions to the hippie movement. One was, yes, in the Jesus people movement, mm -hmm. there was one was what the first church did. Oh, you need to become a Jew. You need to look like us, smell like us, wash like us, dress like us, sing like us. And, those, and almost all those hippies didn't make it. They walked into the church. They're like, this is the fakest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm out of here. Right? Another group, though, went the other way, and they're like, you don't have to change at all. We'll do it, you know. And those developed into weird hippie communes that burned up into horrible things. And then, but the thing is, is a very small portion of the people made it, and those have consistently been the most powerful people God's used in the last 50 years. Most of the pastors of mega churches or churches larger than a thousand came out of the Jesus people movement. Same thing we've said this before happened in Russia where everybody in the Soviet, former Soviet Union had an, had an encounter with Jesus. And almost none of them made it into the church. And I cried out to God at one point in my frustration. And honestly, I was like, God, did they really encounter you? He said they encountered me. But when they came to the church, they did not find the bride that had been advertised. Okay, so now we're going to have fun. So what things do people encounter in the church that turns them off to the church and causes them to walk away from it? A religion. Okay, okay, let's just get a little specific if we could. What kind of religion? Like, what, what does it look like? You have to be like us. Uh, not you, us. Change. Hypocrite. Uh, what, what, what do you mean by that? Get, get, get specific for me. Condescension. Condescension. Ooh, that's fun. I'm sorry, I'm looking down on you right now. <laughs> What's that? Excommunication. You don't do it our way, zap. Traditional religion. What does that mean? That means the way it always was. Oh. Way it was. Oh, my favorite. Well, just, uh, disguised as 
deep spiritual concern. I just feel for her that she's such an idiot. Bless her heart, that little sinful whore. Oh, clicks, clicks, clicks. Yeah, clicks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Finances. Finances. Like, what do you mean by that? I, I'll take some money. Money, money has its power. Like, what, work it out. Work it out with me. I agree. So the pastor knows the people who give the most, and they have the most. Oh, money, money equals power. Money talks. By the way, that's why nobody in this church knows who gives or how much they give, including at me, because I can't handle that kind of. Temptation, including the guys who do the offering, they flip the checks over, and it's all we're done by bookkeepers outside of the house because I can't handle that level of temp. Well, yeah, temptation. I've had people come. By the way, I gave a large check, and I'm like, ah, get away from me. Sorry, I'm like, I'm like, you deal with Jesus. I can't handle that. All right, what else? Judgment. I'm sorry, that's discernment. Yeah. Come on, what else? Ooh, talk, but no, no action. What, like, what kind of action are you thinking? Okay, fake. I like that. I don't actually, but what do you mean by no action? What kind of action were we looking for? Uh, like actually, like going to the wild animals out there. Yeah, taking to the streets. I like it. No love. Come on. Legalism. Legalism. What do you mean by that? Uh, I, I, I feel like one of those classes where you give the right answer and then they ask you for explanation. You're like, that would, didn't sign up for that. <laughs> Legalism. What, uh, just somebody help me out. Don't follow the rules. Don't get it. Ooh, rules. Rules make you good. Lawlessness. Talk to me. This is the exact other ditch. I like it. Lawlessness. What do you mean by that? So if one ditch is you have to do everything right or we zap you, the other is don't mess with my vibe. I'm like, I'm doing good here, man. Right? You know, like, like you're just like trying to shut me down. All right. What else? What's that? Sorry. Fights? Pious. Boring, pious and boring. I'd say those go together. St. Pius the Boring. Betrayal. Oh, oh, okay. What kind of betrayal? Because I, I like this. Friendship. Okay, betrayal. But what is, I'm, I'm, I, I like that. What, what, like, how does betrayal look like in the church? Accuse, okay. Judas, Judas. Man, I hope we ain't got none of them. <laughs> Well, I, we're real good friends, so they got me crucified. Like, uh, no, but, uh, so. When, when leadership invites people to come forward with their issues, but then it doesn't help them. Okay, so, so, uh, vulnerability, like, Expose. refusal to res- expose vulnerability. Oh, that's good, that's good. Expose, what's that, Embarrass. Expose, misuse, uh, uh, abuse, vulnerability. Pretending. Pretending. Uh, uh, okay, uh, unrealistic standards. 
Self-preservation. What do you mean by that? I, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with it. What was the word again? I forgot. Self-preservation. Yes, yes, yes. Come on. Yeah, building up barriers. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay, we can go on here all day and we'll come out so depressed we'll all leave and never come back. Okay, so so stay with me. Is uh, I love the, the betrayal thing, right? One of the things... Oh, what was it? Twice the sun of hell. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I would say one of the big ones, right, that, that we've all found is, so all of us came to God. So get that in your mind, okay? Hopefully get it out of your mind. But um, I have, well, anyway, we'll just do this the old-fashioned way. It will still be there. Everybody's like freaking out. Oh, my gosh. We're all going to die. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, that's what my life looked like after I came to church. It was like still there, but we covered it up. Um, okay, so, so what are, every single one of us came to God. We came broken, came needy. We came to God for something. So help me out. What are some things you come to God for? Answers. Answers, Okay. Okay, God, love, love, acceptance, acceptance, guidance, meaning, meaning. Okay, one second. You guys, this is really wonderful. Um, I, I asked the question wrong. My question I want to say is, what are the bad things that we're leaving that cause us to come to him for the answer? Does that make sense? Because this is the good stuff that we're coming for, but what makes us come to him in the first place? Fear, broken, anxiety, addiction, pain, fatherless. Oh my gosh, easy now. You're going to give me anxiety. Uh, 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 Desperate. One sec, one sec, one sec. I'm still uh, fatherlessness. Carpal tunnel? What? Abuse, death, rejection. Okay, stop. We're, we're again, I, I, at this rate, we're all going to die. Okay, what all these things have in common, and the reason we came in the first place is vulnerability. Whatever mechanisms I have for dealing with this are not working. That's vulnerability. How does vulnerability feel? Bad. Bad. <laughs> ah! Right? Because just like Peter, God had to make him vulnerable, rip him loose of his moorings where he didn't know what was going on. So God could give you something new. He has to break us free from the old. And that fe- the in-between, that transitional moment feels so icky, that vulnerability. And what I kept hearing from you guys, that reason why people have rejected the church is when they came, their vulnerability was used against them. Over and over again, whether it was judgment, accusation, betrayal, 
uh, legalism, right? You are not enough. You have to change for us to love you and accept you. You have to be totally different. These are what we came for. But what we found was that these things didn't get dealt with oftentimes, and they became means for people to reject us. All right. Now that we're all depressed. But I would submit that is obviously not God's plan. And so I want to take us and to begin a conversation around what is the point? What is the point of the church of coming together, of being a body that doesn't become this insular thing, but in fact is the very thing God can use to reach a dying world? What is the church meant to be? And uh, um, so... If you've got Bibles, which are always recommended, I go to go to Romans chapter 12. So the first 11 chapters of Romans are all about what happened. We had a problem with sin. We had a problem with brokenness. We had a problem and nothing we could do could solve it. Not just us as individuals, the human race. And Jesus came and died took upon himself the consequences, the results of our choices, and it broke open a way that we could have life in God, through God, in relation with God. We'd never have to be alone again. We would be woven into the family of God through Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. You know, Romans chapter 5, having been justified by grace, we have peace with God. He's not mad at us through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have this, intro, this introduction into this grace in which we stand. It's a little bit, you've tasted just a little bit. There's so much more. It's incredible. And we're going to grow and grow and grow. And then he says, listen, if we have been buried with Christ, we'll be raised with him and God will transform us and we'll walk in a newness of life, a totally different way. Yay! And then he goes, listen, there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that good news? I remember the first time I read that, I was like, that's not true. Why? Because I had tons of a condemnation in my heart. I didn't understand. And as I leaned in and God began to teach me, there's no condemnation. Woo, I'm set free from the bondage of sin and death. Oh my goodness. And if God is for me, who can be against me? And what can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And then chapters 9 through 11, he goes, wow. And it also applies to the Jews who rejected him. Let's talk about that. But then we get to chapter 12. That was the fastest time 11 chapters have been done. <laughs> Chapter 12, he says, therefore, and what does the word therefore mean? Read before. So that's why I did the 11 chapters. Therefore, all of that, being saved, being transformed, not being separated from God, being brought to newness of life, the whole point, therefore, is I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, in view of what just happened, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. First time I read that, I was like, do I like crawl up on an altar? Is there a knife involved? What? I, 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 offer your bodies, not as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, if I read something in the Bible and it doesn't make sense, what's the first thing I should do? Read around it. You know me, I'm king of context. But guess what? I did not fully understand the context of this verse till this week. You got to keep reading because we have this tendency to pull verses out and go, oh, it's so great. But it only means something in context. Anybody had your words used outside of context? 
Do you think Jesus wants us to do that? No. You'll get the wrong idea. Chapter 7 of Romans is a great example. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, okay. So what does that mean? He said, so do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test, put into practice, and approve, or rather prove, demonstrate the will of God, which is good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, partner with God, just like Jesus did, and bring heaven to earth everywhere you go, in your life, in your character, in your business, in your family, in the world. Sound good? I still don't know how we do it. I wonder how could we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? Well, we probably should keep reading. What's the next thing? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to, to each of you. Okay, for what? What's the faith? The faith is for each of us as one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Let me read two more verses, then we'll come back. We are three. We have been given different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is uh, prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. It sounds makes sense. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's in giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What is he saying? There's a diversity of gifts and diversity, but all have a value. Okay. So, man, um, so what is the value of the hand? Priceless? Okay, well, what, can, what is the good of the hand to the body? Pick up things, eat, write, erase, yeah. Smack someone? Well, yeah, you're on, you're on it. But that thing about the hand is, the hand, man, it's amazing. It's what differentiates us from, in many ways, from apes, right? We have an opposable thumb. The thumb could say, I'm the most important part, right? But here's the reality is, is that how can the hand do what it's supposed to do without what? The arm. So the arm's like, ah, ha, ha, ah, gotcha. I'm the most important because you can't do it without me. Anybody here had to fight for your value with people around you? No, 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 no. And then, and the arm's like, hello, the shoulder. But, but the other, but what about, there's, the other hand's like, yeah, but you can't even clap without me. Hello. <laughs> now watch this, watch this. If I want to clap, one hand, so, uh, so we're going to clap, right? Yeah, we're going to clap. Okay, so you need to move to the left. Okay, now move to the right. Okay, what's the problem? We're doing this together. Why aren't we doing it together? Because we, to do it together, we have to do the exact opposite. If we're going to walk together, you need to look like me, do what I do. Unless God's wanting us to clap. (laughs) There's this thing. How can two people walk doing diametrically opposed things and it be coordinated? Who, deter- who makes the two hands work in concert? The mind. If I want to eat, I have to, the feet have to get involved, the body has, everybody's got to be involved. 
And then the hand, I am doing the big work. Look at me. Because of me, we're eating, right? No, everybody's involved. If any part of my body decides we're out today, I'm not eating, right? You know, it's like the legs aren't going to work. I'm like dragging myself across the floor to get to the refrigerator. No, every part is necessary, but it only works if we are all in submission to the head, the mind of Christ. God, Christ is our head. And so what he's saying is you each have a gift. Don't think they're comparable. They're not. They're all necessary. All right. So that sounds really good. That sounds really good. Kumbaya, anybody? All right. Well, let's keep going because I still don't know how am I so... Part of how we make our body a living sacrifice is we show up in who he made us to be doing what he called us to be, do, right? And honoring and valuing what he's doing in other people. Okay? That's one way. But keep going. Verse 9. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. What is love? What's love got to do with it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Flip over real quick. First Corinthians 13. If you've been to a wedding, you've surely heard it. What is love? Verse 4, love is patient. No, no, I'm looking for Valentine's Day. I don't want this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Do you guys remember that list that we put up here? I would submit every single one of those things wars against love. So what he's saying is if you want to give God your reasonable service, you want to sacrifice your body on the altar, woohoo! who are my martyrs? You know, like I, I, I remember as a young man, I, I, it was so hard to live for Jesus, I tar- started to fantasize about martyrdom. God's like, no, that's not how this works. Go back to chapter 12 real quick. Love must be sincere, Romans 13, type of love, not cuddly. Most of the things we call love are you, are you meeting my needs. Love must be sincere, authentic, real. So how do we do that? We start by hating what is evil. Do you know what that word evil means there? The word evil is in two different types of evil here. One is, this one is striving. The word strife, right, comes from striving. It means, anybody had somebody trying to love you and you told them to quit because it wasn't working because they were trying too hard? Said, hate what is evil. The thing is, if you're trying to be somebody you're not, you're never going to succeed. One of the ways we hate what is evil is we call out the good in each other. We call out the good. We say, that's not who you are. You aren't your addiction. You aren't your failure. You aren't your inability. You aren't whatever you're trying to be. He said, but be devoted to one another in love. You know what devoted means? Not letting go. Who here has wanted to let go of some people? (laughs) Not letting go. You only find out that you're choosing to hold on is when you don't let go. You choose not to. Hold on. Fight for the relationship. Uh, uh, Some of you, for some of you, it's going to look like 
not saying everything that passes your head. For others of you, it's actually showing up and saying it. Not intimating it, but being real and honest. That hurt me. That's fighting for relationship. That's being devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Oh, good. We got back to spirituality. I was getting very uncomfortable with all this love and relational talk. Listen, God says he is what? He is love. Love is relational. If you have a relationship with God that does not transform your personal relationships, does not cause you to show up vulnerably with the people around you and cause it to transform those, I submit you have a form of godliness but are denying its power. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I don't like patient in affliction. You know what patient means? Patient means to wait happily for the breakthrough. Does that make sense? To wait patiently for the breakthrough. This isn't how it ends. I believe there's more. But rather, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. We don't have time. But I would submit, if you go all the way down to verse 21, you'll find somewhere between 27 and 31 commands about what love looks like. And I would submit to you that if we are to be the body that can see springs in the, uh, streams in the wasteland, a body that the, that the wild animals, the reason why, in particular, there is a mass exodus out of the churches, they came in and they did not see what was promised. They did not see love. They haven't seen love in us. They haven't seen love in me. And, I, and instead of wagging the finger and going, yeah, 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 what if we become love? What if we begin to lay down our lives for each other in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our process where we are not yet transformed? We allow God to speak into our lives and we begin to, with patient endurance, fight for relationship rather than ghosting people. I, I believe that one of the ways that this move of God that's about to happen it will happen, it will begin with radical repentance in the body so that love becomes manifest. Because I can't think of a greater supernatural sign than that. Father, I ask right now, Lord, we have dug up a thousand graves and a thousand problems and a thousand issues, but every single one of us have one or two that are burning in us. One or two reasons why we can't show up, why we can't be real in relationship, why we can't, uh, we, we feel we can't uh, really be vulnerable with others. Reasons why we can't fight for relationship, we can't show up. God, whatever it is, God, I ask right now that you would, you would give us courage to lay upon the altar our, our boundaries, our, our, not our boundaries, our, our self-protection, our blocks, that keep us, have, we've said, I will not, I will not. Where, where we've, we've put other people's brokenness and failures and messes up as excuses to keep us from showing up in love. 
God, I believe that you, every single one of us, none of us wants to do life alone. Every single one of us wants to do relationship. We want to be, we want to know vulnerable, intimate relationship. But we've been hurt and we need your divine courage to be able to pursue it. God, we come before you now and we ask you, have your way in us. We can't manage anything but our tiny little part of the body, but we are going to give you our yes today. We're going to give you our yes. If we could have the worship team come up. You know, as we, I was just praying right then, I really got this sense. I, I feel like probably all of us have been triggered this morning. In a particular line, we said, I won't, I can't because of X that happened in the past. I won't, I can't. And I feel like God said, well, can anything separate you from the love of God? And if I would encourage us, let us be brave this morning and offer that as our living sacrifice to him today in our worship. Let's.